You're listening to a sermon from Pasco Vale Church of Christ. To hear more of our teaching or to find out about the church, please visit our website, pvcc.org.au. Welcome everyone this morning. Let me start by praying. Dear Lord, speak to us this morning through your word. Help us to know you and your great love for us so that we can learn to love you and love others in the same way that you love us. And I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, your son. Amen. So today we're starting a sermon series on the book of Ruth. And Ruth is a story, and I think we all love stories. And uh, if I were to ask you what your favorite story is, what kind of story would it be? Maybe a love story, maybe tragedy. I think for most of us, the stories we love the most are the ones that really touch our emotions deeply. One of my favorite stories is the movie Up. And in the first five to 10 minutes, there's a story within a story. It's a story of a dream that two young people had, Carl and Ellie. They dreamed of going to a faraway place called Paradise Falls to seek out their childhood hero. They grew up, they married each other, they tried to have children, but they couldn't. And since they couldn't, they remembered their childhood dream and they thought, okay, maybe let's save up and try to go there. But each time they got close to being able to go, a disaster would strike. They'd have to spend all their money. And they'd try again, disaster would strike. When they got old, finally, Carl is ready to surprise Ellie with plane tickets to Paradise Falls. But just before he can give her the plane tickets, she's hospitalized and she dies. It's such a tragedy. It's a gripping story. We can see how much love they have for each other. We see clearly the dream that they're working towards, and yet they fail. Just like in Up, the story of Ruth starts with a tragedy. It's also a story within a story. In both stories, the main character has trouble daring to hope. There's also another character refusing to go away. I hope you enjoy hearing about this beautiful story today, even though it does start with a tragedy. So let me tell you a bit about Naomi. She lived during the time of the judges. These were local strong men who helped keep the peace and save Israel at a time when there was no king, at a time when everyone just did as they saw fit. As the book of Judges often repeats, in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. But Naomi, she married into a family that was God-fearing. Her husband Elimelech's name means, my God is king. He was from a family of standing. All the women of the city knew Naomi and respected her. The city of Bethlehem itself was proper, prosperous. The name even means house of bread. Naomi's name means pleasant, and she hoped for a pleasant, abundant life. She hoped for many children who could provide for the family. She hoped for sons to be able to pass on the fam family name so that her family's land wouldn't fall to outsiders, 
but would always stay in the family. Marrying Elimelech seemed like God's gift to her. Her future seemed quite bright. However, her hopes took a long time to come. When other women around her were having many children, she struggled. It appears that she only ever had two children. The first was named Malon, meaning weakling, and her final son was named Kilion, meaning it is finished. By the time she was at the end of her reproductive years, after much struggle, she was only able to have two children. But they were sons. They would be able to marry and have children of their own to help, keep the, fa to help the family. They'd be able to pass on the family name so that she could live out the rest of her days on the family property. She wouldn't be poor or homeless. Her descendants would be guaranteed both land and security. However, at some point, a severe famine comes upon the entire land. Was this God punishing the people again for their unfaithfulness to him? Maybe. But her family was faithful to God. Why should they suffer? Well, with opportunities drying up and only two children around to help out, her husband decides to seek out opportunities further afield, abroad, in another country. I mean, her ancestors Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they sought refuge in other countries when they needed help. Why shouldn't her family? So they'd go to Moab. The last time that Israel and Moab had fought was decades earlier, as you can read about in Judges 3. The Moabites may be enemies, but at least for the moment, there's temporary peace. And Elimelech, he had enough money to buy some goodwill among the Moabites. So her husband would sell some of the land to pay for the travel, but still keep a part of it so that they can return to it. They'd, and uh, when they returned, they could purchase the rest of the land back. Their land would continue in their name, land to give to her children and their children forever. So in Naomi's mind, she might be thinking, it's okay, soon the famine will be over, then we'll return and continue our life back up again. But then one year turns into two. Oh God, when will the famine end? When can we go home? And then Elimelech, oh dear God, I always dreamt of returning home and continuing on with my family. How can I go home without my husband? Thank you, God, that you gave me my sons. They'll be able to provide for me into my old age. But without Elimelech, I won't be able to arrange wives for them. And I wouldn't want them to marry wives that will turn their hearts against you. Please, God, direct my sons to make good decisions without their father around. And so soon, Naomi was praying, God, my heart is torn. They've both married Moabite women. They don't come from rich families. They're fatherless themselves, but they're kind women. Help them to know you. Bless them abund abundantly with children. Then a year passes, maybe two. No grandchildren yet. God, I struggled myself. Why them too? Then 10 years. God, it's clear they both won't have children. Please help us at least to go home. And then, God, why did you take my children? Now I'm left a widow, childless, in this foreign land, and with two daughters-in-law depending on me. 
How can I provide for them? What can I do? God, you've taken everything from me, all that I hoped for, all that I dreamed of. I hear that you've blessed Israel. Bread has returned again to Bethlehem, but I'm not blessed. How can I return so empty? My daughters-in-law wouldn't want to leave their country, and they'd be in danger in Israel. Who would want to marry them? Didn't you say that their descendants can't in enter into your temple? And I, I'm too old to work. How can I survive? God, you've taken everything from me. My life is unpleasant, and I no longer know how to be pleasant around others. But at least let me die and be buried in my homeland. Can you relate to Naomi? Have you ever had long-standing, great dreams that have slowly slipped away like Naomi's? Maybe it wasn't slowly. Maybe your dreams all disappeared suddenly, like for Job. What did you do? What can we do? The Bible has many stories of tragedy. So what did the biblical people do? Have you heard of Psalms of Lament? Just a few generations after Naomi, some of them would be written that would later be added to the Bible. These are songs that cry out to God, complaining. Songs that beg God for mercy. Songs that express despair. The biblical writers knew how to lament, and Naomi's complaints sound a lot like lament. I wonder if she knew lament songs. Do you? They can be helpful. It's a privilege to know that we can express ourselves honestly to God and not have to worry that he'll reject us for not speaking to him correctly. And sometimes it's in letting it all out that we can also be honest with ourselves. Honest that God hasn't actually left us and he hasn't stopped showing kindness even if we are struggling. I struggle with this myself. Our Father, He's God in heaven. He's the King of kings. Shouldn't we be respectful of the maker and ruler of everything? God who's sovereign over all? So for me, I struggle to express my grief, my complaints and despair to God. Thankfully, we know that we don't just serve a high and perfect and far removed God. Isaiah's prophecy had said about Jesus that he was a man of sorrows, well acquainted with grief. <laughs> Jesus didn't have an easy life, much less an easy death. So how did he endure? Isaiah says that out of the anguish of his soul, Jesus would see and be satisfied, having saved many people. Hebrews also says something similar. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. You see, having an eternal perspective makes all the difference. Jesus could look beyond his suffering to his eternal joy in receiving us into heaven with him. I still don't understand how or why he would do this for us. It's hard for me to imagine. And I need his help to even have a glimpse of such a great and enormous love. But even when we can't see hope in this life, there's always eternal hope for us in heaven. 
Some years ago, my life was very hard. I was very poor. My career was slowly dying. I was waiting for a visa, waiting for, to be able to work. I couldn't. And all my hopes were slipping away. At that time, I remembered the verses about Jesus. Like him, I was feeling grief and sorrow. And I didn't know the best way to express myself to him. At the time, I was learning about the kingship of Jesus, and so I wanted to address him appropriately. And so I only had a few words. All I could say was, Jesus, you are a man of sorrows, well acquainted with grief. I'm learning to be like you. Now, I don't know if it was a good or bad prayer, but I was grateful that Jesus understood my grief. He had experienced that and more, and he was with me, and he was making me to be like him. He was in heaven, and I would join him there, and he was making me to be like him already here on earth. I hope it can encourage you that Jesus has already walked the path of sorrow before you, and that there's joy awaiting you on the other side of grief, eternal joy in heaven. All of us will experience grief and tragedy at some point in our lives. Do we dare to hope in God in these times? Sometimes we just can't. It seems like we just can't see beyond our circumstances. In Naomi's time, 3,000 years ago, they didn't yet have the eternal perspective like we do. They looked for God in this life because the Bible's revelation of the glory of heaven was still to come. So what does Naomi do in her grief? Does she despise and reject God for all the troubles she has? Or does she bless him despite her troubles like Job? Well, neither. But she is honest in how she feels. She's totally depressed. And when the whole town is excited to see her, that's the worst thing for her. She's been despairing of life itself. How can she join in with their joy? But I like how honest she is. She no longer wants to go by the name that means pleasant. She wants to be known as bitter, which is what Mara means. And she attributes her bitter life to God. She says that God has testified against her. Maybe she blames herself for what happened. In those days, people were quick to attribute ill fortune to God's punishment for sin. But at a time when neighboring nations thought of their gods as having only local power, Naomi had a much more expansive view of God. Her God continued to act in Moab. He may have brought disaster, but she attributes it to him. Maybe she considers herself guilty for ending up in a foreign land, but God has been with her the entire time. She may have come back empty, but she gives credit to God for bringing her back. She has great faith, and she acknowledges God in her life. And here's the thing. She may be bitter about her life. She may say that the Almighty is against her, but she walks towards him and towards his people. She decides to go on the long journey back home to the land God gave her people. She may die poor and homeless, but she will go that way because that is God's way. So I like Naomi, 
And her daughters in love like, love her too. Naomi says that they've been kind to her. They certainly stuck around her through thick and thin. They didn't abandon her when life got difficult, when their husbands died. It's true, maybe they didn't have much to go back to. Naomi had said to go back to their mothers, so they no longer had the protection of males in their family. But even so, they hung around to help her. They respected her so much that they were prepared to go back with her to Israel just because she's the matriarch. They didn't question it. They helped her pack up, sell off everything, and they started to accompany her on her journey. They were faithful. But Naomi knew how difficult life would be for them. They wouldn't be accepted in Israel. Who would marry them? And Naomi can't provide for them. And the family name was dead. Now as terrible as Naomi's situation was, she showed incredible, selfless love towards her daughters in love. In a patriarchal era, maybe Orpah and Ruth never had a say in anything that happened to them. They just followed what was required of them. But Naomi wanted to give them a say in their future. She could have guilt-tripped them into coming with her to help take care of her. Or she could have made life in Israel look all pleasant and hopeful to them to get them to come and care for her. But she doesn't. She wants what's best for them. It's a selfless love, and it's an honest love. There's nothing she can promise them for their future. All that they know is back in Moab. Why should they go with her? And Orpah takes this sensible advice. I think it was painful for Naomi, though. Up to this point, both Orpah and Ruth were prepared to join Naomi's people, but they hadn't said anything yet about God's. Orpah clearly wasn't ready to give them up. At this point, Naomi brings the issue in, into the open to Ruth. Ruth would need to know that going forward meant giving up her gods. She wouldn't be allowed to serve them in Israel. Naomi is being very honest with Ruth about the cost of this decision. How could she demand that Ruth give up absolutely everything? Her country, culture, language, and religion for an uncertain and dangerous and hopeless situation. Three times she asks Ruth to turn back. Finally, at this point, we hear directly from Ruth, and it helps us to understand a little bit about who she is. It's one of the most beautiful passages in the Bible. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. Ruth's name actually means friend, and she hasn't given up on her name. She's going to continue to be Naomi's friend no matter what. And she's accepted not just her people, but her God. And it's not just that she's accepted to be around her God, but she has accepted him as her own God. She even takes an oath in his name. In fact, Ruth fears God more than anything in life, any present or future circumstances. Life may be hard, but she knows who's in control and who to fear. She doesn't have any illusions of hope. Naomi has already made everything clear to her. But yet, beyond hope, she chooses love towards Naomi. Naomi is all she has, and all she can give is her love. 
and Ruth chooses love beyond any dreams or hopes of her own. That kind of love isn't easy. Have you ever had to make difficult choices that demand everything from you? Maybe in the midst of grief, you've had to choose a path forward. How do you make up your mind what to do? What criteria do you choose to use? As Christians, we call ourselves by the name of Jesus. Christian, the word itself means little Christs. So we should try to be like him. What did Jesus do? Well, he, when he knew the time was coming for him to die, out of love for all of us, he set his sight on Jerusalem and walked firmly towards it to the great amazement and fear of those who followed him. In his darkest hour, he pressed on in love for us so that we could receive forgiveness and be redeemed to God, so that we could have an eternal home in heaven. Jesus calls us his friend, and just like the one called friend in this story, just like Ruth, he shows us amazing, undeserved love, clinging to us on our journey home, and he won't let even death separate us. So in Ruth, we see a preview, a foreshadow of Jesus' selfless display of love towards us. When we don't know what to do and all seems hopeless, let's press on in selfless love, like Naomi, like Ruth, like Jesus. Love is greater than hope, but there is hope. Do we dare to hope in God? Naomi had been disappointed over and over again she didn't dare to hope anymore. But if she had thought carefully, she could have seen God's hand at work all throughout her life. God had blessed her family with the ability to escape the famine. They were able to successfully settle in the land of their enemies for 10 years. When her husband passed away, her sons were able to keep helping support her, and they married very kind women. When the worst happened, it happened just as the Lord's name became famous in a foreign land, beckoning her to go back home. And who would have imagined her foreign daughter-in-law accepting God as her own and helping her on the long journey back home? And they arrived at the house of bread just as the barley harvest was starting. God didn't leave her, and he hasn't left us without hope, no matter our circumstances. Maybe you're worried for your health. Maybe you don't see much hope in retirement. Or maybe things are actually going well for you, but you're wary of trusting God because of your past hurts and griefs. Maybe you're currently feeling grief, maybe over an empty nest or the loss of a loved one. Maybe you wish you could have children or your career has slipped away. Maybe your studies aren't going well. If you can identify with these, let me encourage you. Look up songs of lament in the Bible. If you search online, you can find lists. Maybe they can help you learn how to express yourself in these kinds of situations. They may help you know how to pray. Either way, I encourage you to acknowledge God. Naomi never gave up acknowledging God in her life, even if she was bitter. Because when we acknowledge God, it's a reminder that ultimately God is in control and it can remind us that he works all things for our ultimate good. 
I also encourage you to find someone you can pray with, someone you can freely open up to. Naomi knew that if she went back home, she could open up freely to everyone about her bitterness and how she felt that God had brought disaster on her. And maybe you yourself are not going through difficulties at the moment, but you know someone who is. You may not know the end result for this person. You may not be able to offer assurance that everything will be all right. In fact, it may look dark. But you can be like Ruth to this person. You can cling to them and walk the difficult journey home with them. And because we know more about God's eternal plan than Naomi and Ruth ever did, as you walk with them, you can point them to Jesus, our Savior. Through Jesus, God has a plan for them, a plan for each of us, an eternal plan of hope. Naomi didn't know it at the time, but the end result of her story was the birth of King David, her great-great-grandson, and King David's descendant a thousand years later would be Jesus. What a privilege. Naomi was very privileged. Like her, we may not yet see the end result of our story, but God is writing a beautiful story, and he wants us to be a part of it. And even if you're having trouble this morning daring to hope, let's at least not give up walking towards God in selfless love. As we do, we'll learn to be like Jesus, and in time, we'll see the eternal light of joy once again. Let's pray. God, thank you for your love and for the eternal hope that you give us. Please, grant us to be daring in hoping in you. Amen.